Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumble.org. What a week it has been. Uh, what a start to 2021. Uh, personally, uh, just, just a lot with, uh, with our family this week and uh, some ministry kinds of things going on. And then also our country. I don't have to tell you about all of the, the challenges and all of what's happened and transpired over the past week. And then Friday, I uh, celebrated my 45th uh, birthday. And uh, seems unreal. Uh, a friend of mine uh, sent me this. And... Uh, He's not working. Oh, there he is. Okay. <laughs> and I thought, man, that is just kind of sums up this past year. And uh, the first week of uh, 2021, kind of feel wide-eyed, riding down the road of life. Uh, seems kind of crazy. What am I doing? Where am I going? Maybe you can identify with that cat. Uh, stunned in some ways this week. Uh, maybe uh, speechless. Where do we go from here? Well, if you're new with us, uh, last week we started a series called On the Same Page, and we learned that the Bible is not a book about us, it's a book about Jesus. And today we're going to go all the way back to Genesis and begin to make our way through the big storyline of the Bible. And right from the beginning, Act 1 of of four acts we're going through as we walk through the storyline, Act 1, it's clear right from the beginning that you and I are not the point. We're not the main character of this story. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So before there was anything, God has always existed, eternally, in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God. In the next 25 verses of Genesis 1, God's name is mentioned 25 times. That should clue us in to the the fact that you and I are not the point. So it's not how God can fit into my story. It's about how I can fit into his. That's where we're going as we make our way through the series. So today we're going to see how we fit into God's story and how every person matters to God because every person is made in the image of God. And so let me pick up the story of creation on the sixth day in Genesis 1, 26. So drop your eyes down to Genesis 1, 26, and let me read through verse 31. This is the word of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. 
You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So today we're going to look at what it means to be made in the image of God what theologians have called the Imago Dei. And we're going to see how this massively important truth is relevant, especially in light of our cultural moment. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to seek to answer two main questions. Number one, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And secondly, why does it matter? What does it mean and why does it matter? So let's start with that first question. What does it mean? What does it mean to be human is really the question that we're seeking to answer. The Imago Dei is something that we are and something that we do. It's both a noun and a verb. We are images of God and we image forth God to the world. It's our identity and it's our activity. So let's look at that a little more closely. So the Imago Dei is something that we are. Look at verse 26 again. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice, this is a changing of the script. Up to this point, God says, let there be, let there be, let there be. And now he says, let us make man in our image. So this is very purposeful, intentional. God's doing something special here. And I wonder if you noticed at the end of verse 31, only after man is created does God say this is very good. Up to that point, creation was just good. And so we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We are made in his image and after his likeness. So we are a picture of God. We are a reflection of God. Every human being is in the image of God, which means that we are like God. In his likeness is what it says. I wonder if you've ever been told that one of your kids is your mini-me. Ever been told that before? Like the spitting image of dad, right? Or the spitting image of mom. This is kind of what's happening here, right? To some degree, that's what we are as image bearers of God. We were made to be reflectors of his glory and his character to this world. Now, in the ancient Near East culture of this day, kings would claim to be gods and would even call themselves the images of God. And so they would make statues, they would hewn out even on large, large cliffs their image, and they would stamp their image on coins as a way of marking their rule and reign as gods. And yet the true God of the Bible didn't tell his people to make an image of themselves because they are the image of God. We are the image of God. So what does that mean? How are we like God? We could say a number of things here, but I think it comes down to the fact that we are relational beings made in the likeness of our Trinitarian God. We are made for relationships, right? That's different than everything else in the created order. Only we can have a relationship with our creator God. 
I mean, think about your, your pets, if you have pets. They don't need nor do they want a relationship with God, right? They don't sense that they are accountable to God when they do things. They don't want communion with God. They, they don't think about their, their sin. They don't think about the fact that God is real and they must seek him. No, only human beings have eternity written on our hearts. Only human beings have eternal souls. And only human beings are made for an eternal relationship with God. So only we can have a relationship with God and only we can have a relationship with one another where we can personally and intimately love one another, right? And personally and deeply hurt one another. Which is why God takes it so seriously when someone is murdered. Maybe you read these verses this past week in Genesis 9, verse 6. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Now, if we would move towards the New Testament in Matthew chapter 5, we could see how Jesus' words cut even deeper to the heart. Listen to what he says here in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We even see this played out in the story of Cain and Abel. And so destroying an image bearer, either physically or verbally with our words, is a direct assault on God himself. God values human life, every human life. So we are image bearers of God. The Imago Dei is something that we are, and it's something that we do. Look at verse 26 again. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we're called to do two things in light of who we are. We're called to fill and we're called to rule, to fill the earth and subdue it or to rule over it. So we're called to fill. God says be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He wants us to have babies, which is something that you guys are very good at here at Oak Hill Church. Our nursery always seems to be growing. But we're to fill the earth, to multiply his image all over the globe. Incidentally, this is why God confused the languages of the people at the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. But because humanity did the exact opposite of what they were told, right? They wanted uniformity. They wanted power in one location, one centralized location. And God wanted them to go and fill the earth, to spread out 
with all kinds of languages and cultural differences to show his glory and power. And listen, we've got to be aware of the fact that sometimes we have the tendency to only gather and and to band together with those who are just like us. We want the kingdom without the king and his heart for all the nations and all the different cultures of this world. This crucified king who didn't elevate himself but stooped down to us to save us calls us to be his image bearers. So we are to fill and we are to rule. Now the word dominion you can see here is repeated twice in these verses. It doesn't mean to dominate. Rather it means to cultivate, to bring order and flourishing to the world around us to rule in the way that God rules as his representatives here on earth. I mean, it's just like Adam in the the garden. You remember the command he was given to care for and to cultivate, to keep this garden. That's what we're called to do in this world, to bring order out of chaos, to bring blessing where there's cursing, to bring salt to where there's decaying, to bring light to where there is darkening. In other words, to bring about human flourishing in everything we say and do. To expand the garden, if you will, all over the earth, to make things better, no matter what our job or vocation. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom, and what you're cultivating is your, is your home and your children, whether you're a, a teacher and you're cultivating your, your class with, with a kindness that, that, that goes against, that's contrary to this world that's growing more and more hurtful, whether you're a, a nurse in the medical field, over the last year especially, your, your words and your, your acts of compassion and love, whether you're a lawyer promoting the, the justice of God, a mechanic bringing order out of chaos, even with vehicles. Doesn't matter what you do for a living, you're to be about human flourishing. You're called to cultivate what God has given you to make life better wherever God has placed you. And to, and to serve with gladness, right? With kindness, to display God's character as image bearers of the king. I think of the most recent Disney Pixar movie. Some of you have seen the movie Soul. Have you seen this yet? Kids, raise your hand. Have you seen this movie yet? Okay, so many of you have seen the movie. Uh, it's pretty deep, <laughs> isn't it? Have you seen it, uh, parents? It is, it is pretty deep. Um, but I want, I want to say this. Don't overly scrutinize this. Don't, don't, don't dismiss it as bad theology of the afterlife, because it is but affirm it and accept it as a movie that promotes life as precious and valuable. We, we need to have gospel eyes to be able to see these movies in light of what's good and what's bad and to have conversations with our kids as they grow. Uh, one of the lessons it teaches us is that you don't have to reach your dreams to make a difference in this world. A lot of times we have that mindset, we've gotta reach our dream and then, and then happiness will come. 
It's the little things you do to show love that bring life and joy to others. And that's what the Imago Dei calls us to be and do. So wherever God has us, we can find purpose in who we are as image bearers of God. So let's review. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's something that we are, something that we do. We are reflectors of God's glory and character. We are relational beings. And we're called to fill the earth and subdue it, to rule over it, to cultivate, to represent his rule and reign as we cause things to flourish. Now the question is, why does that matter? Why does it matter? Why does the Imago Dei matter? Well, there are many things that we could hit on here to touch on today and so many things that correspond to our cultural moment right now. I want to say this. I don't have an agenda today. You've got to know that. Some of you, as we're going to get into these next topics, are going to think, well, he's getting political here. I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying to be biblical, and I want us to see everything through the lens of the gospel. Listen, as Christians, we're called to care about Everyone Jesus cares about. Let me say that again. As Christians, we're called to care about everyone Jesus cares about, regardless of our political persuasion. So guys, I want us to see that there's so much that flows from being made in the image of God. And in large part, we've missed this glory, glorious reality in our co- country and even in this community. So why does it matter? Why does the Imago Dei matter? Well, two reasons. Number one, it affects how we view our culture. And number two, it affects how we treat each other. So let's look at that first one. The Imago Dei affects how we view our culture. Abortion is an Imago Dei issue. It's clear from scripture that life begins at conception, so we value human life. And we value the life of the mom, if there's a dad there in the picture, we we value, we value them. Those who are struggling with these decisions, we don't shame people here. We love them, we see them as image bearers of God. And this little baby as an image bearer of God, which is why we've supported as a church the Obrea Medical Clinic in Fort Dodge for many years now. Abortion is an Imago Dei issue, but we are not one issue people as Christians. We care about everyone Jesus cares about. So, secondly, Sex trafficking and pornography is an Imago Dei issue. Listen, whenever or wherever the image of God is being broken and twisted, where people are used and abused, we we grieve. Listen, pornography is not just a secret sin. And I know how prevalent it is all over. It's not a secret sin done in a vacuum. It treats women as products to be consumed rather than people to be valued. So it is an Imago Dei issue. We've got to care about it. 
fight against it. Racial injustice is an Imago Dei issue. And I know this is controversial. I'm going to go there anyway. Though we are in many ways um, shielded from it and can't see it up close, it's everywhere. And I believe it's both personal and systemic. And instead of playing it down and excusing it away, we need to acknowledge it. Most of us have rarely even talked to people of different color and actually listened to their stories. We've made assumptions. So we need to acknowledge it and humbly learn and listen and even lament. By the way, just so you know, we can affirm and appreciate law enforcement and still grieve racial injustice at the same time. Fourthly, Forgetting the marginalized and the disenfranchised is an Imago Dei issue. Forgetting the marginalized and disenfranchised is an Imago Dei issue. I think many of us, if we're honest, I mean, there are some people that we just kind of treat as invisible. They just don't matter to us. The poor, the elderly, the refugee, the handicapped, the homeless, the most needy among us, they don't matter much to us. And yet they matter to Jesus. They matter to Jesus. His heart was moved with compassion toward the least of these. But you know what? We're often afraid of them, those who are different than us. Why are we afraid? Is it that we fear that we might become like them if we lean in and love them? I could go on. So much that flows from the Imago Dei. The fact that every single person is created with equal dignity, equal value, and equal beauty, regardless of race, regardless of culture and gender and age, socioeconomic level, or political persuasion. Which is why what happened at the Capitol this past week is an Imago Dei issue. And what happened afterwards on the news and social media is an Imago Dei issue. As Christians, we, we denounce hatred and violence and slander of all kinds, especially if it's done in the name of Jesus. We renounce that. And we grieve that our country has come to this, where some have acquired a taste for hate and revenge. That should grieve us. But what should grieve us even more is what's happening to the church in these days and how we're treating each other with such contempt, whether online or in person, with so much anger and division right now. This is an Imago Dei issue. In James chapter three, Verses eight and nine, he writes, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. The next verse is not up there, goes on to say, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. 
These things ought not to be so. So how we treat each other in the church, how we talk to one another in the church is an Imago Dei issue. Brothers and sisters, because we're made in the image of God, we're called to treat each other as fellow image bearers of God. We may have different opinions. We may have different convictions. We may disagree on different issues, but we value one another. We respect and we honor one another. We love one another because we're made in the image of God. Will we always be in complete agreement? Absolutely not. You've got to know that even as elders, we have discussions and conversations, and we don't agree on everything completely, and yet we're unified. It's just like a marriage, right? I mean, you, you know this. You talk it out when you disagree. You seek to listen and to learn. But you don't stop loving each other. You don't move out. You're still one. You're unified. Here's why. The relationship matters more. Our relationship matters more than being right. Our being kind is more important than being right. And I'm learning this right along with you. I am. So this is not a call to uniformity, right, where we agree on every single thing. This is not a call to uniformity, but it is a call to unity especially in what matters most, because the world divided needs to see the church united. You know that, right? This world divided needs to see the church united. We've got to come together. And so let me end with this question. How can we do that? How can we live out the Imago Dei in our cultural moment? Just want to say two things. Number one, take no part. And number two, be transformed. Take no part and be transformed. Ephesians 5, verse 11, says this. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So so listen, listen to me. Let's don't join in the, the chorus of anger and outrage in our culture. Let's don't do that. Let's don't partake in the darkness. Let's don't breed division. Rather, let's speak life and speak kindness to one another. Let's let's listen to each other. Let's learn from each other. You never know how much it might matter to someone and might affect someone as you simply seek to listen. And let's love one another and remember that we're a family. That's who we are. We're the family of God. So take no part. Secondly, be transformed. Be transformed. In 2 Corinthians 3, 18, Paul says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in the context, he's talking about Jews and how their eyes have been blinded, how they read through Moses and the prophets, and they can't see the glory of the Lord. And when we come to Jesus, repenting of our sins and believing in Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
our eyes are opened. The veil is thrown off and we can see and behold the glory and the beauty of Jesus now in the Bible. And listen, as this is one of the reasons why we are so excited about moving through the Bible together. Because as we read through it, we are beholding the beauty and the glory of our Lord on the pages of Scripture. And as we do that, we become more and more like him as we see him. You know what amazes me about that? As we see Jesus, especially in the Gospels, who is he? He's a nobody for, for most of his life. He's poor, he's homeless, he's a victim of injustice, and yet Colossians 1.15 calls him the image of the invisible God. So listen, listen, as we become more and more like Jesus, as we, as we see the beauty and glory of this meek and humble Savior on the pages of Scripture, we will be transformed more and more into his likeness. We will be loving people, all kinds of people, the same way Jesus did. We'll care about everybody that Jesus cares about. And it will be, listen, it will be a glorious reflection of the greatness of God to this watching world. Let's pray toward that end. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have made us in your image. Thank you that all of us in this room, we have value because you have created us in your image. And all of us, we have a purpose to be reflectors of your glory and your goodness and your character to this world. And all of us are called to cultivate and to care for people and to bring about human flourishing wherever God has placed us. And Father, we know that we will fail time and time again. We often grow inward and seek our own way. Help us as we see Jesus on the pages of Scripture to become more and more like him. And perhaps for the first time, to see him as Lord and to give our life fully to him. And to stop living the lie that this life can be ours and we can be in charge. And Father, I pray that as a community, as a church body, as a family, you would help us to be kind to one another, to treat one another as fellow image bearers of God. We repent of our sin, where we have fallen short in this. All of us in this room, me included, have failed to love one another and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Lord, would you then restore in us this image of Christ as the one who seeks to love and to care for everyone who's made in the image of God. Would you do that in our hearts, Father, and give us grace, give us patience with each other in the process. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.